0: Hey everybody, this is Cameron. Uh, If you are listening on the podcast, you'll be none the wiser. If you're watching on YouTube, you'll see I am uh, recording here by myself uh, in my office. Uh, It's the week after Easter, and uh, I mentioned in our last sermon, which is our last sermon through the Gospel According to Mark, uh, that concluded, gosh, over two years in that book, which was was awesome, um, that... Obviously, we we concluded the sermon with verse eight, but there's most of your Bibles are going to have like uh, a bracketed additional amount of verses, like 12 verses or so. And so we just barely touched on that during the sermon. And this isn't going to be super long. We hope it'll be really brief, actually. Um, But just wanted to circle back to that and touch base about the question. What is up with the long ending of Mark, uh, how should we think about that? And so I just want to take a few minutes to kind of lay some ideas out there. Um, I hope it's obvious, but if it's not, I'll say it. Um, If you have any questions about this, if this is confusing for you or disturbing for you, or (laughs) I don't know, or you're just interested and want to learn more, um, I'm of course more than welcome to recommend some good books or articles, uh, depending on how long, how far you want to go, uh, or just get together. Let's just get together and get coffee and, and hash it out together. So, uh, I don't assume I'll be able to answer every, every question that, that might come up, uh, in this short little video, but, um, we'll answer a few of them hopefully. So if you have a Bible, uh, I'm just going to grab mine right here. Turn to the end of Mark chapter 16. Uh, I'm reading the ESV here. And what's the ESV do with this thing? The ESV comes to the end of verse eight, which uh, I'll just read verse eight. Then they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. And that's the end. And then it has a bracketed statement. It says some of the earliest manuscripts do not include chapter 16 verses nine through 20. And then it has then verses nine through 20, um, in brackets, uh, to conclude the book. So, uh, the translators of the ESV decided it was worth including this, but they wanted to make it clear that, uh, the earliest manuscripts we have, um, did not have this, this verse included, these verses included. So just a little bit about manuscripts. So I don't know if you know this or not. We do not have the original copies from the hands of Paul or say Mark in this case, uh, of the, of the new Testament or old Testament books and letters. Um, but what we have is early, very early fragments of copies and complete copies. Uh, some of them very, very early. And so, uh, there's this whole field. We won't spend a lot talking about it, but it's called textual criticism where they basically take these old texts, these manuscripts, what we have, and they compare them and what the, the, the end goal, uh, the primary goal is always to figure out what did the original say? And I'll just say out of the gate, um, the New Testament is the most we have the most abundance of old oldest manuscripts of any ancient document i mean it's it's an embarrassment of riches. there is no other ancient document that even comes close and I think that speaks to how tr- cherished the New Testament was that it was just copied and they they really wanted to do to maintain that text because they believed it to be the words of god as as do we and so um we have so much in front of us for doing this kind of text-critical work that's, uh, that's amazing. We can have a high degree of confidence that, that what's printed in our English Bibles, of course, it's translated from the original languages, but that it is, um, it's the original text. I mean, with, with v- just a couple of notable questions. And those notable questions where we're like, oh, is it this or is it that? Um, they don't impact any significant doctrine of of Christianity. Um, So a lot more could be said about that, but I just out of the gate, um, if we can have confidence in, (laughs) in any ancient text, it is the Christian new Testament. Uh, So we'll just, we'll maybe leave that for there. Uh, Leave that there for now. Uh, Well, let's look at what this longer ending of Mark has. So, so there's actually a a longer ending. That's just a a verse or so. And then there's this longest ending. That's the one we're going to focus on. Um, both of which are longer than, than what ends at verse 8. But let's read this longest one, verses 9 through 20. Here's what it actually says, um, and should be in your in your English Bible, uh, whichever one you use as well. So starting in verse 9. Now when he rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, so they're talking about Jesus, from whom he had cast out seven demons. She went and told those who, who had been with him, and they mourned and wept. But when they heard that he was alive and had been seen by her, they would not believe it. After these things, he appeared in another form to two of them as they were walking to the country, and they went back and told the rest, but they did not believe them. Afterward, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were reclining at table, and he rebuked them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who saw him after he had risen. And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up serpents with their hands, and if they drink any deadly poison it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. And so the Lord Jesus, after he had spoke to them, was taken up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, while the Lord worked with them and confirmed the message by accompanying signs. And that's it and so there's there's kind of three options that that scholars have to decide, and even us, just as your everyday Christian, you and me have to decide what to do with this longest ending. First, you could make the ca- try to make the case that it is original um, and we'll we'll talk through some some rebuttals to these things here in a second. first, you could say, "Well, I think this is original, um, and you have to explain then why why it isn't there in the earliest manuscripts." Uh, and some do, but that is a very rare position for for scholars to take. It's uh, almost almost no one holds that position. The second is that it's not original to the original writing of Mark, but it is early. And 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 more importantly, it, we should view it as part of the canon of Scripture, that it is inspired Scripture. And so, what most people would say in that situation, if they, want, if they want the longer ending, but they acknowledge it probably was not written by Mark, they'd say, well, that was an inspired editor of some sort, who was also carried along by the Spirit of God, uh, who ended this book with this additional ending. Um, so, not original, but still scripture. Um, and then, a third position would be that it's not original, and therefore, um, or for other reasons, perhaps, it's not canonical or scriptural. So, um, yeah, we would just say this isn't this doesn't belong in scripture. It's probably still good to have it bracketed in our Bibles. We can see it, we know that there's a long manuscript history with this text, but uh but it, we shouldn't view it as the word of God as we would the rest of the scripture. So what I would argue for, if I mean it's probably obvious since I didn't preach through this passage, uh is that we should take the third view that, that this is not original and therefore not canonical or scriptural. And I'm just going to give you five quick reasons why I think, um, why I think that's the case. The first is exactly what it says in the footnote. It's not present in the earliest and best and most important manuscripts. Um, And that raises the question, um, you know, why not? It's like, as I mentioned, these scribes, the people who are making these copies of the scriptures, they treasured these words and the idea that they would willfully cut pieces out of it especially a long section like this is just kind of completely unheard of it's far more likely uh, that someone would have made an addition to mark um if it wasn't in the earliest manuscripts So, you know as we mentioned to try to bring it up to speed with the other gospels or they thought well this doesn't you know, the ending of this is kind of unsatisfying, so let's take some of the material from the other books and let's tack it on here to make Mark more coherent. That's far more likely than them deleting wholesale a gigantic piece um of Mark's gospel. Um but anyway, so the earliest manuscripts, it was not there. So I think that's pretty 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 good evidence. Reason two, some of the some of the manuscripts um that came later that do have this these additional verses they contain little editor's notes that doubt their authenticity that say hey we're going to include this but we don't think it's it's original um so even in some of the early kind of scribes and copyists uh they were making note like hey we just want you to know we we have reason to believe that this probably is not the original ending of mark uh which is which is really interesting third reason is that it seems more likely, I guess I've already said this one, uh, I kind of jumped the gun, but it seems more likely that scribes would have added the additional ending because the short ending seems unsatisfying compared to the other Gospels' endings, rather than them deleting it. That's just, if you learn about what what scribes tended to do and not to do, this would be pretty unheard of. Um, Reason four, Mark's short cliffhanger ending seems to fit the literary form and style of Mark better. I mean, Mark, um, Mark is a book of kind of quick, quick movement and immediately, you know, the word immediately is one of his favorite words in the gospel. It's a it's a book that, uh, kind of has even in three major sections, um, potentially that these could serve as kind of the seams of the book where characters respond to Jesus with fear. Um, that's actually a, a really common way that characters in Mark respond relative to the other gospels is for them to be awestruck with fear. And so, uh, when you just think as, about Mark as a creative literary work and what what kinds of things Mark was trying to emphasize in his writing of Jesus' story, um, it seems to me that this short ending just kind of fits the ending of Mark better. It feels more of a piece uh, rather, than, um, rather than that long ending. And then fifth, I would just say this is super fascinating. I just saw a commentator point this out. I just learned this for the first time or, or, or considered it for the first time. But the long ending um, it sort of contradicts the teaching in which the shorter ending declares the women told no one, and that we have to be very careful here, so Mark leaves us on this note of the women telling no one because they're they 're afraid they It says that they 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 're not going to tell anyone about Jesus, and we have to first acknowledge like that 's not meant to be an absolute historical statement. the fact that Mark is even writing this gospel implies the knowledge that they eventually did go tell people, um, of course, the reason uh, that Mark knows about this is because the women were eventually faithful to the commission to go tell the other disciples and so on and so forth um, so what what Mark is doing in the ending then is he's not making an absolute historical statement, but this is a, it's, you know, we talked about this. It's kind of like the cliffhanger ending of a TV episode. He chooses to, to stop the dramatic action right in this moment where the women are so frayed, so afraid, so frozen with fear that they're not they can't, they can't conceive of going to tell anyone. And Mark cuts it there and he wants to leave us, I think with, that moment of drama and that moment of anxiety and that moment of what happens next, specifically to provoke us as the readers to, to decide, well, what would we do? What should we do? What are we going to do with this information? Are we going to, are we going to be, um, are we going to follow the women and their fear? Are we going to overcome that and move forward as they eventually did? Um, so he's making a creative choice to leave us in that kind of hanging moment. Um, now, that's that's all well and good, and that works literarily and stylistically, and that's that's a coherent way to end the story. But if if he had authored the original ending, it starts to get really contradictory because the the very next verses um, mention that uh, they do go and tell the other disciples, um, which is true historically, it's true. But all of a sudden, the the decision for Mark to phrase it that way—they they told no one. Okay, and then they did go and tell people. It just it. Suddenly, there's an, an incoherence I- injected into Mark's gospel and just the way he's choosing to tell the story, if that makes sense. So, I think the long ending ac- actually contradicts the short ending in a kind of an important way, which should lead us to think, oh, Mark probably didn't write it then. Um, so, those are my reasons. Uh, there are perhaps others, well, there are others uh, that others uh, argue for. Um, but I I think it's pretty clear. Uh, I think the case is very strong that we should not consider those last 12 verses, uh, canonical or scriptural, but let's just take a second to look at what's actually in these verses. Um, as we mentioned before, probably what these are is an attempt to add the most, some of the most essential and beloved stories from the other gospels and even the book of Acts, uh, into Mark to bring Mark up to speed on these essentials. So, The whoever, whatever scribe originally kind of added this in was probably thinking, well, I mean, we've got to have the story of Jesus, you know, appearing to Mary. And we've got to have the story of Jesus praying to the disciples. We've got to have um, his ascension. We've got to have a piece of kind of the Great Commission. Um, And that's very understandable. These are deeply important stories. So you understand the impulse the the problem is that we have all four Gospels and each of them, you know, is, is writing from a certain perspective and is emphasizing different things. And so if Mark doesn't include all these stories, it's no problem because we still have Matthew, Luke, and John. We still have the book of Acts uh, that tell these things. There's no need for Mark to uh, kind of force these things into his story. Maybe one other thing I would say about just the content of this is, yes, it's kind of bringing in some of these beloved stories. But um, one of the probably the most consequential things that this includes is this description. Uh, Let me find it here. Um, As Jesus is telling them some of the signs that will accompany Jesus's disciples, Uh, he mentions casting out demons, speaking in tongues. These are things that we see in Acts. Uh, And then it says they will pick up serpents with their hands. And you probably—I don't know if you know much about this. This is a little bit more common where I'm originally from in the South. Uh, but there are these these Christian groups that practice what's called snake handling, and and they get that whole doctrine from this verse. This idea that it's a sign of Christian faithfulness um, and and the power of Jesus for us to hold, pick up deadly snakes, and to be bit by them, and for or or to not be bit by them—that they either won't bite us or that they'll bite us and nothing will happen. Um, and so. And, immediately you see like oh there's consequences to what you whether or not you include this verse either way what i would say is that though even if we did take this as authoritative scripture this isn't a prescription to go handle snakes in here it's a description that for some believers, someone's going to pick up a snake with their hands and they're not going to be hurt by it. And we actually see that in Acts, I think, chapter 28, when Paul uh, encounters like a deadly viper and he, he ends up being just fine in the encounter. And so once again, I think what this is, is it's describing these dramatic things that uh, that we do see play out over the next decades of Christian history, specifically in the book of Acts. It's not meant to be a prescription there. Um, and it says a similar thing about drinking poison. Um, And so, yeah, I don't think there's anything in this long ending that, uh, that's scandalous or whatever. It, it's kind of a synthesis of what we find in the rest of the scripture. Um, if you went to a church that preached through this as scripture, you, I'm sure that you were hearing good biblical truth. Um, it's just probably not biblical truth that Mark intended for us to have. Uh, it's biblical truth that acts intended for us to have that someone had kind of shoehorned into Mark, if that makes sense. So, um, I don't think there's any skeletons in the closet here on the long ending of Mark. um, It's uh, it's seems to be true stuff, uh, good stuff, stuff that the rest of the scriptures validates. It's just, um, I don't think it's part of Mark. So we opted not to preach it that way. So maybe one, one last thing I would mention is that, um, you know, when we start talking about these issues and like, Oh, maybe this isn't meant to be part of the scripture. I know for many of us, our minds start going to, Whoa, well, what else? Like, can I trust anything in my Bible, et cetera, et cetera. And I would just say there are only, there are only two major passages in the new Testament that have this issue. It's the ending of Mark. And then the other is John seven fifty seven through eight eleven, um, which is a beloved passage. It's the story of Jesus and the woman caught in adultery. It's the one where he says, if anyone's without sin, cast the first stone. We love this story. Um, the problem is very similarly, it just probably is not original to John and therefore probably not something we should consider scriptural. Um, most scholars would say it has the ring of being a, probably an authentic kind of bit of oral tradition about Jesus. It was a story, uh, which is how a lot of the new Testament stories, you know, were preserved until the books were written. There were these stories of remember when Jesus did this and oral tradition would, would develop and people would weigh in on it and they'd get it just right and it would get passed down. And then eventually the gospel writers, aided by the Holy Spirit, would take some of these things and they would flesh it out into these beautiful artistic works, connect them together. Probably this is an old Jesus tradition um that genuinely happened that um just was inserted by by a copyist later into the Gospel of John. And so um probably not one we should consider scripture, uh, but it's not something that really changes our doctrine in any fundamental way. I mean uh, it's not as though the, the graciousness of Jesus or uh, the way in which he talks about judging others is, uh, is hangs on this one passage. Those are major themes of Jesus's teaching. So, um, those are the only two passages. The rest are are kind of smaller, far more um, you know non non consequential things that, uh, and even the vast majority are just things like spelling errors and stuff like that. So, um, I'll say it again. We can have more confidence in the Christian New Testament than in any other ancient book. And praise God for that. I see that as, uh, as his provision for us and uh, something that can give us great confidence as Christians as we continue to, to come to the, these ancient texts as scripture, as the inspired word of God. And praise God for the scholars who engage this kind of text-critical work that gives us the confidence to know what I'm reading is, in fact, the word of God that he wants me to view as authoritative. Um, so there you go. That's, uh, that's the long ending of Mark and a little bit more. Um, hopefully some of you (laughs) made it to the end of this, but if not, no sweat. And once again, if you are interested in talking more, let's go grab some coffee and, and hash it out. That'd be super fun. Um, with that, yeah, I think we're starting a new teaching series this coming week. I'm really excited about, um, and we're going to continue to follow Jesus together in Portland. Uh, we're going to continue to, to orient ourselves around the cross, community, simplicity, and the city in which we live. So looking forward to doing that with you. Love you, church. We'll talk to you soon.